Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24 this morning. Luke chapter 24. As you find your way there, let me, let me uh, begin with a word of prayer. Father, in this time now, as we open your word, I pray that you would shed light in our hearts of the knowledge of the glory of Christ and these things that we will now read and hear about and think about. I pray that in this hour that we would truly behold them, that you would work by your Spirit to open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts and our understanding, to show us a greater glimpse of the work of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, I I tell you, Easter's hard on a preacher, but the week after Easter might be harder. You know, the resurrection and Easter, it's kind of like I started to title the message today uh, something about after the mic drop. You know, the mic drop is like, well, I mean, what else is there to say, right? The resurrection. I mean, that's it, right? We we had between 175, 200 people here last week, so it must have been a mic drop for some, right? Because we're not there today, but I'm glad that you're here, because there's more to say, even after the resurrection. And today, I'm going to try to wrap up our series that we've been walking through, uh, the final days of Jesus on earth, thinking about today, what happened after the resurrection, what happened after Easter. Specifically, there is a period, now, you know, I've been I can spend a whole sermon on just a, a little prayer in the garden, right, or, or, or just on the cross. And now we're going to span about 40 days, actually, after the resurrection, as Jesus appears to various groups of his disciples, and then Jesus ascends. One pastor writing about the ascension and all of these things that we'll consider today quipped that these events seem more like maybe an episode of Monty Python than something that you would find in the Bible. In other words... What you're going to hear and what's going to be described to you today is going to blow your minds a little bit. I mean, the resurrection blows your mind, but now with the ascension, our minds are blown even more. And I think maybe a frame that we should draw today that gives us a a helpful context is to remember that from the front to the back, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible in its entirety is about the interplay between the spiritual or heavenly realm and what happens to us as people and what happens here on earth. In other words, we we tend to think spiritual heavenly things over there, earthly, material, physical things over here, and never the twain shall meet. But actually, the Bible says no, no. God created all of the physical things. So so the, the physical, earthly, human things belong to the Lord of heaven. Into the spiritual realm. So, so I think that we need to remember that the Bible is quite supernatural in its approach, and and that we do find all throughout the Word this interplay between heavenly things and earthly things, and this fusing or uniting of heavenly and earthly things is especially evident in today's passage. So, I want you to maybe soften that line that you have in your mind between heavenly things and earthly things, and realize that there is. A connection, all right? So we're going to consider two main things today that happened after Easter, after the resurrection. Number one, there are the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, and then in the final 
moments of the final days of Jesus and his first coming to earth, there is the ascension. So we'll consider those two things, the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus to people and the ascension of Jesus to heaven. And so as we've done all along in this series, I want to try to say this. There are historical realities we're going to examine and look at and then ask the question, what are the theological implications? In other words, what, what does this mean? How do we think about this? How does it infuse us with this living hope like we sang about? So we pick up the story now, Luke chapter 24. We're going to walk through in three sections, verses 33 through 53. And we're going to pick up the story after Jesus has actually appeared to two of his disciples on the road to a place called Emmaus. And they were down in the dumps. Man, they're hanging their heads low and their eyes probably still watery and, and they're grief-filled. And they're talking about how terrible it is that Jesus died and trying to make sense of all these things. And Jesus actually appears to these disciples and they don't know it's Jesus for a while. And he sits down with them at a table and then he, he disappears. He, he does vanish. He goes away. And these two disciples then hightail it over to Jerusalem to see what's going on. But let's pick up the story and read verses 33 through 43 there in Luke chapter 24. It says, And they got up, that is those two disciples, that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They begin to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. The first thing that we see now is the resurrected Jesus appeared bodily to many. He appeared bodily to many of his disciples in this 40-day period. Now remember, last week, as we examined the resurrection, we said that Jesus was bodily raised. His body was not there. Let that sink in for just a minute. Jesus got up bodily out of the grave, and now he is appearing to many in different times and places bodily to these people his body was raised it was transformed it's what we call the resurrected body it's a little bit different at first they didn't recognize Jesus at various times part of that is at various times it says that God did not open their eyes to allow them to understand that it was him but it appears that Jesus body was while it, there's a continuity it is his body it's his flesh there is a difference he has this resurrected body all right and so these two who Jesus encountered on the road to Emmaus, they head back to Jerusalem and they find the eleven, that's the remaining apostles and other disciples gathered together. And what are they doing? They're talking about, hey, uh, Simon is saying that 
Jesus appeared to him. There are disciples saying that Jesus bodily, actually, physically appeared to them after the empty tomb. And guess what? They were troubled by the reports. They were scratching their head. They were rubbing their beards. They were doing things like that going, I don't know what to do with that. I don't, I don't really have a category for resurrected, raised from the dead people hanging out with his followers. And as they're discussing this, these things, it says that Jesus, the resurrected, raised Jesus, appears in their midst. He shows up in that room, and he says, it's me. It's me, Jesus. See, look here. And he shows them his hands, his feet, the scars of the crucifixion, the wounds, that is. He said, it's actually me. Here, you don't believe it. Touch my body. And so they're skeptical and they're kind of weirded out before and now they're amazed. It says that they're still not really believing. And I think what it's saying is they're beside themselves. You know, has something really weird ever happened to you and, and, and you just, you're a little bit out of your senses. You haven't had time to process. On the way home from church, I think it was a, a Wednesday night, I'm chatting on the phone, and it's getting dark, and uh, I'm talking with my wife, and all of a sudden, man, three deer go across the road. I'm talking about right in front of my bumper, and I'm sitting here chatting away. I hit the brake, my stuff goes flying forward, and I've just had this little bit out-of-body type experience. You know, it was just really weird. And she's going, what is going on with you? I said, man, my, my life just flashed before my eyes before I even had time to think about it. And so as I have time to think about it, I'm processing, right? And, and, and I think that there is this just not understanding as Jesus is there in their, in their, uh, their midst. They're beside themselves. And what he's doing, he's giving them proofs and evidence. This is me, Jesus. This is an apologetic of sorts. It's giving an answer. Luke, who's investigating these things after the fact and writing down this gospel, he's, he's doing interviews and he has, he's asking people, how did this stuff go down? Tell me about it. Of course, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he's still, he's given the facts and they're going, it was really weird. I mean, when stuff like that happens, you just don't know what to, to do with it. And, and it's, it's, I think Jesus is looking and he's going, you're still, you, I can tell you're not believing. You're, you're still amazed. So let's br- make this thing real a little bit. Let's, let's bring it down to the level. He says, hey, hey, you got anything to eat around here? Just like a teenage guy comes to your house, right? I, they just want to eat. Or, or like if I come to your house, I'm going to ask, well, you got to eat around here. And, and Jesus, because I'm just being like Jesus, right? And Jesus says, you got anything to eat? And I don't think he's really hungry as much as he's wanting to show them that it's actually him bodily and they said yeah we got a piece of broiled fish over here and he eats it now my wife and i we went to jojo's anybody know jojo's in mountain view fish house i I highly recommend it right there on the white river we went there uh, friday night and man they bring out this this a tub is probably the best word of hush puppies i mean this is baskets huge and i'm looking at that i'm going we get brown beans and we get tomato relish and we get uh hush puppies, and that's before the fish and the baked potatoes. And Am I torturing y'all yet? Or y'all like, don't do that to me before lunch. And, and they bring, I'm serious, I, 50 hush puppies. It, Whitney, is that an exaggeration? Of course, preacherly exaggeration, but it's a bunch, right? And, and I'm looking at that, I'm going, who's going to eat that? I can't eat all that. I mean, you know. And uh, so we're, we're eating our stuff and... and uh, 
fish comes out, eat the fish and all that, just like Jesus. And, uh, and before I left, I looked down, somebody done ate them hush puppies. That's how we talk where I was raised. <laughs> Whitney, did you eat those hush puppies? I ate a few. A spirit. A spirit ate some JoJo's hush puppies. Y- y'all not. Y'all not with me today, are you? So so I'm searching my theology. I'm like, the spirit eat hush puppies? I I don't think spirits, non-material beings, I don't don't think they eat hush puppies, but I'm going to say a spirit ate at least 30 of those hush puppies because I know I didn't eat that many, right? Spirits don't eat hush puppies. I don't think spirits eat fish. Apparently what Jesus is trying to get across And actually, as you read through the post-resurrection appearances, this is a big deal. It's my body. Touch it. See it. I'm fixing to eat some fish in front of you so you know this is real. You're not seeing ghosts. That's what he's getting across. This is my body. This is real life. I've been raised from the dead. And so, in those post-resurrection appearances, Jesus makes a big deal to help them to see that this is about bodily being raised from the dead. That is what has been accomplished in Jesus. Hey, folks, that's what's accomplished, going to be accomplished in us who trust in Jesus, a resurrection that is real. It's bodily. It's not just some pie in the sky by and by. I don't really know what it is. It's not this ethereal whatever. It, it's, it's bodily resurrection. It's real life that we're talking about with Jesus and with those who follow Jesus, all right? So now I want you to see, we're going to look at verses 44 through 49. The resurrection of Jesus had great significance. It's, it's all in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. It's central to the story of salvation. Let's read verses 44 through 9. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending you forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you're to come in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Central to salvation is this, resurre- this dying and this resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus says, look, while I was with you, when I was teaching you before the cross, I told you that everything that's in the Old Testament, it had to be fulfilled. The Old Testament says the, the Messiah would suffer, would die. We read a passage about that not long ago, Isaiah 53. He would suffer and he would die. He would bear the transgressions and the sins and take the wounds and the beatings that were due to man, and he would be raised. And Jesus said, this is the story of salvation. This is what it's all about. I told you when I was with you that all of these things had to happen. So listen, friends, listen, disciples. Don't just think that the cross is some sad, gloomy end to my life when in fact it is central to the very story of salvation. And now because of my death and because of the resurrection, you are able, and when the Spirit comes, I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit on you, and you're going to be empowered. You're going to go. You're going to tell people that there's hope 
and that there is life beyond the grave when they trust in me. You're going to go and preach that. What can you proclaim? It says proclaim repentance. That is turning away from the old way of death and sin and proclaim forgiveness in my name. Listen, forgiveness, forgiveness with God, from God, is about eternal life. It's about coming out from death, death to the old way, and life is the new way. And he says, you're going to proclaim this. And so Jesus begins to open their minds to all of the scriptures and what salvation is really all about. Hey, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you've never turned from your old way of sin and death and going your way, I'll tell you where that leads. It leads to death. But Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full, eternally, abundantly, forever. Salvation is about pardon from God. It's about being pardoned, having our trespasses forgiven. And it's offered, hey, it's not just offered to the good old boys. It's not just offered to nice girls. It's not just offered to religious people, not just to the Jews. Jesus says you're going to go everywhere to everyone and tell them this hope-filled, life-giving news that I came and that I've died for their sins and pardon is available. And the resurrection is a message of life and hope and victory. And the same victory that Jesus says is mine and the resurrection can be yours. This is what I want to give to you. So he tells his disciples, go and proclaim that, this message of salvation in my name. All right? And now the ascension. The resurrected body of Jesus. He came out of that tomb on Easter. Over the period of 40 days, appeared to various groups of disciples. I think it's in uh, the book of Acts, which was also written by Luke, maybe Acts 1-3. Uh, in there somewhere it says over 500 people Jesus appeared to over this period of 40 days. That's pretty good proof, by the way. You might eat too many hush puppies at JoJo's and have nightmares and, and conjure up weird thoughts, but 500 people don't do that. And Luke says there's historical veracity and proofs behind what we're claiming, that Jesus got up, that he was raised bodily and appeared to people bodily, and he preached the message of salvation and gave us the message of salvation to preach. But then, in the final moments of the final day of Jesus' first coming, something happens that we call the ascension. Let's read verses 50 through 53. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands, and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. <laughs> the final post-resurrection appearance of Jesus was actually a disappearance of sorts. It says, and this is what we call the ascension. Now, now remember, Jesus' body that came out of the tomb, that appeared to people that they touched, that they saw, that they heard, that they ate fish with. They watched him eat. This, this tangible body says, actually goes up. It raises up as he's blessing them. And he was carried into heaven. Now, I told you, this is a little bit weird, right? Does this seem weird to anybody? I know you say, what are you, some kind of heretic calling the ascension weird? But it's different. 
But Luke tells it here. He tells it in the book of Acts. It's in 1 Timothy that he was ascended to glory and so on. Jesus ascended into heaven. I want to give you, in the few minutes I've got left, so if you've got a pen or got your little phone or whatever, if you want to write this down, it's just so, because I'm going to rip through it pretty quick. I want to give you five things that speak to the significance of this ascension of Jesus. What was tied to this idea of this reality, this event where Jesus was actually raised and he goes into heaven and they all start with E and so you can just write these five things down. The ascension marks the end. The end or completion of the earthly work of Jesus. The earthly work. It's the end of his earthly work. Now, Jesus didn't just ascend to heaven just to go on eternal vacation. There are things that he's doing in heaven. But it's the end or completion of his earthly work from the cross as Jesus says, it's, it's finished. It's finished. In John 17, 4, uh, Jesus says to the Father, I have finished, I have accomplished the work that you sent me here to do to glorify your name, to provide salvation. It's completed. The work of Jesus was completed, and so the ascension marks that. The ascension marks that. The ascension also, here's your second one, it signals Christ's entrance to heaven. The entrance to heaven. That's what's going on here is the Son of Man, now keep this in mind, he's still embodied, still has that body. It says that he's carried into heaven. Now, (laughs) this is interesting. Because as you think about that, you're thinking, well, where did he go? Well, he went to heaven. Where is heaven? And if you read about the ascension, people, I'll just tell you, Christians are basically in uh, one of three camps. Camp number one, I have no clue. Let's talk about something else. That's, That's camp number one. We don't know. He just went to heaven. Camp number two is, well, because he was bodily raised and actually ascended in this spatial way, some people believe that heaven is a realm that exists in the, in the spatial universe somewhere. And he just, you know, I don't know how fast he would have to move to get there, but they go, because he was bodily raised, heaven is a, a more tangible place than we've ever thought about. I don't know that I'm there, but what I would say is, again, I think it's a pretty soft boundary. There are third camp people that say, no, he, he went away, and there was significance in that, in that he's actually visibly coming back, but heaven is actually a different realm. But regardless, we don't really know. Here's how you know the way to heaven. It's with Jesus. It says that Jesus ascended to heaven bodily. Now let me give you a quote. Think about this. Jesus is entering heaven upon his ascension. Here's a little quote from a book called The Ascension by Chester and Woodrow. The ascension is the story of a body moving to heaven. It is not escape from the bodily realm, but the entry of humanity in all of our physicalness into heaven, the sphere of God. And far from diminishing the importance of the body, the ascension is the ultimate affirmation of bodily existence. The Son of God himself has a body, not as just a historical convenience, but as a permanent presence in heaven. In his resurrected body, Jesus still, I believe, I think what the Bible would teach us, he still is in his resurrected 
body. He didn't drop his body off at Mars going, bloop, don't need you anymore. He's still embodied in his resurrected body. In his resurrected body. Mm. His resurrected body had been fitted for heaven. And so will ours be. And so that's one of the mysteries. If you want to read some more on that, look, and you can read that book called The Ascension, or you could read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about what the resurrection is like for us who follow Christ. It's different, but it is still a body. And I think that this just speaks against maybe a, a sense of heaven and eternity and being with God that somehow feels like it's going to be less than what we are now. Are you following this? Some people view heaven as a stripped back, kind of minimalist existence where hmm, it's going to be kind of boring. I don't know what I'm going to do. Hey, folks, it's not less than we have here. It's more than. But it's bodily in a resurrected body. That's what the Bible teaches. But again, I would say that cuts against some of the teaching about heaven that you would hear in various churches today. But I think that's what Scripture is teaching. That's what we see as we see Jesus is entering to he- into heaven with his resurrected body. So it's the end. It marks the end of Jesus' work here on earth in his first coming, that is. Secondly, it marks his entrance into heaven. Thirdly, the ascension is about the exaltation to the highest place, the exaltation. Jesus is being lifted up, yes, spatially. He's going up, but also in the sight of God. And positionally, he is being exalted to the highest place. He's being shown that he has victory and all glory. That's what the Bible teaches. Again, Philippians chapter 2, Jesus humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant, became a man. He died on the cross, and he was raised, and he's ascended to the highest place. He is given a name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, it says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He is being exalted, is exalted to the highest place. What is going on in heaven today? Because Jesus is there. Who else is there? Well, Legions and legions of angels are there and all sorts of heavenly creatures. There are those who are the dead in Christ, I believe, are there. You know what's going on? They're reverencing and worshiping and exalting and following Jesus. He has been given an exalted place. The Bible teaches that. Related to that, the fourth little E is enthronement. Enthronement. The Bible teaches the ascension has to do with the enthronement of Jesus Thrones belong to kings. Ascension. If you said this, hey, you know about that guy? You know he's ascended to power. When you say someone has ascended to power, what you normally don't mean is, well, they've walked up a flight of stairs and gone to a place that's above, geographically above every other place. What you mean is they now have a position of authority, a position that is exalted and is above. And the ascension, while I think that the the visuality of it all is, R.C. Sproul says it this way, he says, ascension speaks spatially, but really ultimately is speaking about positional. It's enthronement, that Jesus is on his throne. Think about it this way. Not too long ago, some protesters, they stormed Washington, D.C., right? And, and they went into the Capitol building, what, what, in the, uh, the congressional halls. In some ways, you could say they ascended to Congress by force, but actually they didn't. They broke in, but 
They weren't given a position or authority or title. Sure, they went up to that high place, but they didn't have the position. When Jesus ascended, he literally went up into the high place that we call heaven, the sphere of God, and most importantly, he was given his throne. He was enthroned. Did you know that the most quoted psalm in all of the New Testament, so this is the New Testament writers, this is Jesus, this is the apostles, the most quoted psalm in the New Testament is Psalm 110, which is a prophetic picture of the enthronement of the Messiah after his death and his resurrection. Here's a glimpse of it. You'll recognize this. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. So Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, speaking about being at the very throne of God. And God is making his enemies his footstool. Let me give you one last quote here as we think about this enthronement of Jesus. And we're thinking about what Jesus is doing right now, having ascended. Again, same book, The Ascension by Chester and Woodrow. Listen to what they write. This is where we get a little bit of application. It spoke to me. When you went to bed last night, Jesus was at work subduing his enemies. While you slept, he was continuing to rule over the world. He was still at it when you woke up this morning. That is the outrageous claim of the ascension. It's outrageous because his rule is not recognized in his world. Open a newspaper and it's not full of how Jesus is reigning. Probably quite the opposite is true. You open the news today and they'll be bashing Jesus or Christians or the gospel message. But back to the book. Yet the story of this ascension is the story of the enthronement of Jesus as king of the world. And I think that the reason that this spoke to me is because as I look around the world today and I read the grim prognostications and the pollsters talking about how the church membership is on a precipitous decline and we look at the condition of our world and the things that seem to be proliferating that go contrary to a biblical view of morality and so on and so forth. When I look around, it's a little bit disheartening, isn't it? If you're, if you're a Christian and you hold these certain set of values and you believe that God intended things in a certain way, you look around and, and at times, I'll tell you what it looks like, it looks like the enemies are winning, doesn't it? They're not. I'm going to tell you a secret, biblical secret, Jesus is reigning right now. He was reigning last night. He's reigning this morning. He's reigning right now. He'll reign tomorrow. He's victorious. And he's on his throne. And I think that that's a great comfort for the Christian to say no matter what befalls us, you can be sure of this, that God and his Christ know exactly what's going on. And they're ruling and reigning and victorious. The last E that I'll give you related to the ascension is expectation. There's a real expectancy tied with the ascension. So, not recorded here in Luke, but it's in Acts. 
So they see Jesus go up. And what would you do when, if you saw that? You'd stand there with your mouth gaping open. Ugh. And some angels appear and say, why are you standing there with your mouth gaped open looking up into the sky? He is coming back, but just not right now. In the same way that you've seen him go, he's coming again. And he's bringing his kingdom in fullness when he comes. And he'll bring the resurrection. And he'll bring justice. And the righting of every wrong that's not already been put away in the cross. So he gives them a job. He said, now you go be witnesses of this. Know that Jesus is coming again. And you're going to go and be witnesses of this salvation and this resurrection and eternal life. But hold on. In ten days, they're not told it's ten days, but it's ten days later, Pentecost, he said the promised Holy Spirit that Jesus said when he takes his throne, he's going to pour out the Spirit of God on you and empower you. He's going to give gifts to his church, gifts to his people to empower you to do what he's called you to do. And so they went around, they were praising God, they were worshiping and they were waiting and the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. And they were empowered to do exactly what Jesus said, to be witnesses right there in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we know that that's true because, hey, guess what? America is not the center of the universe. Valley Springs, I know it seems like we're the center of the world and the country. We're not. We're close. (laughs) We're actually, biblically speaking, we're uttermost. We're uttermost. And the witness of Jesus has gone out to the uttermost. And you are witnesses of that. You are a living testimony of the fact that exactly what Jesus said would happen after he disappeared. And it was explained that he went to heaven. Exactly what he said would happen has happened. And here we are. And we're given that same job. But let me say to you today, friends, if you're in Christ, you are secure And you're seated with him. I'm going to close with a little excerpt from Ephesians 1 and 2. If you want to look up a little bit about a longer passage about the ascension and the resurrection and all of these things and his coming again and what it means for you, read Ephesians 1 and 2. Beautiful passage. Little excerpt. He that is God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is not named, and put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. But even when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And you have been raised up with him. And he has seated us with him in heavenly places. Hey, wrap your mind around this real quick. I don't even know how to get your mind around this, but it's a great truth. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's enthroned. He's exalted. He's been given a name. He's putting his enemies under his feet. He's seated. He ain't worried about it. He's got it under control. You say, but what about me down here, Lord? I'm battling. I'm suffering. Things are not looking good for a thousand different reasons. What about me? And he says, when you were saved, dead in your trespasses and sins, 
He made you alive. He resurrected you spiritually with Jesus. And there's a promise of bodily resurrection for you. But your place, your position is with Him. He says, you have been seated with Christ on high. Folks, if you're in Christ, your eternity is secure. Your inheritance, that hope that you have in Him, will not disappoint. It will not perish. It will not fade. It will not be taken from you. No dip in the stock market. No disease. No nothing. If that's the thing you can say. Nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. You're hidden with Christ on high. Let that minister to your soul. In a day and age that, if we were without that hope, might seem troubling and disconcerting. You're with Him. And He's with you. And He's for you if you are in Christ. Would you bow with me? In a brief time of invitation, I just want to invite you, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, trust Him today. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. Have your sins forgiven. Have them washed away. Get your eternity secure. If that's you today, if you want to come during this time, you come. I'd love to pray with you. You can see me after the service. But you need to pledge yourself to Him, just like we saw in baptism today. Baptism is that pledge of belief in Jesus, saying, I'm yours. I'm with you, Jesus. In your death, we die to the old self. I've I've died with you. I've been risen to new life. And I'm believing in the resurrection final resurrection, which is our ultimate hope. You need to do that. Pledge yourself to the Lord Jesus, just like you've seen done here or depicted in baptism. Hey, Christian, if you're here today and your heart is overwhelmed with darkness and grief, fear, uncertainty about it, it could be anything. It could be anything. Let the ascension of Jesus be portrayed before your very eyes and heart. And know that He's there. He's not left you. He's not forsaken you. In fact, He's gone to that throne to claim His throne and to receive the good gifts that we've talked about so that he could bestow them upon his beloved. Would you believe that today? Let this biblical truth sink deep into your soul and comfort your soul. Father, today we pray that you would minister these things to the secret places of our hearts. And we each have our own specific concerns and troubles and worries. I pray that you would minister to them today by your spirit, the spirit that you promise. So would you do that in this place? And do that as we go.
and as we reflect on these things. And do that tonight when we lay in the still of our bed and the thoughts and the anxieties and the worries and the concerns come. Do that then. And then the days ahead, Lord, we pray that you would minister these beautiful truths, historic truths, and theological riches to each of us. And we pray these things in the victorious name that is above every name, the name at which every knee will bow, the name of Jesus our resurrected and ascended and living and ruling and reigning and coming again, Lord. That's the name that we pray by. Amen. Hey, one last thing before we're dismissed. John, we don't have anything else, do we? You covered it all, right? Here's one thing. Uh, Matt and Brandy Urosity, they couldn't be here today. They're going to... Ask if they could give an update about their project. They are adopting a sibling group of five kids, and the church has been so generous. You have been so generous, uh, ladies, in preparing meals, and uh, guys with working, and everybody with giving. And uh, I think we've uh, collected in that love offering nearly $3,000, and a lot of work has been done, and a lot of uh, folks have been going out there and helping out. They're making a final push, a final press, and I think. If I heard this right, they're, they're hoping to get those kids by the end of this month. And the, the legal adoption won't take place, I think, until August, but uh, the kids will come to live in the home at the end of this month. Having said that, making a final press, and there's a, a big bucket list, <laughs> big punch list of things to do. And Matt, we were out there, some of us were out last week, and uh, he is uh, taking his uh, vacation days this week and going to be working out there. And uh, I just asked him, I said, hey, would you, could you use a hand or two? He said, yes, yes, if anybody would want to come. And uh, maybe our hopes were that maybe we could have a, just one or two folks that could go out each day. And I've actually got a schedule of, of what he's hoping to do. This starts Tuesday. This will go Tuesday, probably on through Saturday. Some of the things that they're doing, doing some uh, outside work with grading and, and raking and Chipping up concrete, there's some drywall finishing to be done. If you uh, carpentry, a little bit of putting trim, there's painting to be done. Again, they've, they've made great progress, but there's just a lot of little details, and I think it's a little bit maybe overwhelming <laughs> when you're trying to finish things up in a week. So having said all that, if you would be willing, if you had a day, half a day, a couple of hours that you would uh, like to go out there, maybe one or two uh, people, would you see me about that? You can call me, text me. You can see me here today at the service, and I'll give you the list of when they're doing different things. But, uh, man, the church has been so good, so generous. And, and I'll tell you, this is a lot of what it's about. It's just loving, loving God and loving others, loving our family. And I appreciate what you've done, and I hope that you'll come along if you have some time this week to help the Eurosities. And uh, it's going to be a great thing. If you don't help this week, when those five kids come, you have to babysit. So, <laughs> just kidding, kid, just kidding. All right, let me close this in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you that for your love. I thank you for this church and their generous spirit, the kindness and the camaraderie, and I pray that you would continue to grow our church. Lord, I thank you for Cody and Mary and their family, bringing them into our family. And uh, what a blessing 
they are already to us. And I pray that we would be a blessing to them. And I want to pray for uh, Matt and Brandy and for all of their family and for this big addition into their family. Lord, that you would just make a way, make a clear path, uh, provide for their needs as they continue to uh, take steps to bring those kids into their family and help us to love them, to encourage them, to come around alongside them through this process. And Father, we thank you that you love us, that you offer us life and forgiveness and hope and a future. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed.